Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have a great guest today, Aubrey de Grey. Uh, he's the VP of New Technology Discovery at AgeX, and uh, Aubrey's done a number of TED Talks. Uh, he's the Chief Science Officer of SENS Research Foundation, um, a 501c3 uh, biomedical research charity. Uh, he's done a tremendous amount of research in a lot of areas and is a, a worldwide speaker. So, uh, Aubrey, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. yeah. So, let's let's start a little bit further back than what you're currently doing now. What what got you into studying aging, and at what age were you when the subject first caught your attention? Well, I really started thinking about this in the early to mid-1990s when I discovered, to my utter horror, that hardly anybody else was really working on the problem of aging. I had gone through my entire life until then, which is my late 20s, um, in the, with the view that, with the assumption that everybody understood that aging was the world's most important problem, and that um, therefore biologists would be working rather hard on it. And it was only through meeting and marrying a biologist and meeting a lot of other biologists as a result that I found that that wasn't the case. And I eventually came to terms with this after a couple of years and um, decided that, well, I have, to have no choice. I've got to switch fields. I was previously a computer scientist working in artificial intelligence research, and I was doing that because I thought that, you know, work is also quite a bad problem, uh, people having to do stuff that they wouldn't do unless they were being paid for it. 
Um, so we need more automation, but clearly it's a small problem compared to aging. So I thought, well, I might as well switch fields and see what I can do. Well, why do you think, um, do you think it's religion that holds people back? Do you think it's just people feel it's inevitable, there's nothing they can do? What's the reason that there's not a lot of aging research, or not nearly as much as it could be? I think all of those things are aspects of the of the way in which people go about putting aging out of their mind and uh, kind of, you know, uh, uh, forming the conclusion that aging is some kind of blessing in disguise. But the deeper question is, why do they need to do that? And the answer to my mind is simply that they need to um, get on with their miserably short lives and, you know, make the best of it because they presume that aging is this kind of totally inevitable thing that nobody's ever going to be doing anything about and they know that it's absolutely ghastly and they don't want to be preoccupied by it and of course mm. it's always been the case that there is progress going on in medicine and one can make a story around the possibility that that progress will eventually lead to the medical control of aging but until that story becomes really concrete and overt it it's all a problem of you know whether one wants to get one's hopes up, and of course most people don't. So the um, you know, challenge that we face is to get people sufficiently courageous to be able to actually think in terms of the possibility and to be happy with the possibility without the certainty that these therapies are going to arrive in time for them, so that they will be willing to actually get involved and enthusiastic and so on. And of course. As progress is made, we're getting closer to that point, but there's still a, a, a mountain to climb to really get the whole of society behind this. Well, what would be your ideal? You know, if tomorrow uh, the problems you're working on were resolved, would that mean that people can live forever, or would it mean that just their health span matches their the average lifespan? Or what, what's the goals for you? Yeah, so there's a lot of weasel words that are used by uh, a lot of my less courageous colleagues in this regard. You know, a lot of the impression that people give is that there's some kind of trade-off that we're talking about here between quality of life and quantity of life. Um, you know, that you know, everyone says, oh, we're not interested in longevity, we're only interested in health. You know, um, and the reason this is uh, that I don't really approve of this is basically because Everybody knows perfectly well that what we're talking about here is health and that any longevity benefits will be purely a side effect of the health benefits. So there's no separation between these things, let alone any like trade-off or you know, um, tension between these two things. And the only reason people say it that way is some, is some kind of you know, politically correct way of trying to make the whole thing seem palatable, which I don't really agree with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think absolutely it's all about health. We're just doing medical research here, trying to get people to stay healthy. And any longevity benefits, as I say, they're just a side effect. So what would be a happy goal for you? That, again, that people live a lot longer, people live forever. I mean, you know, what, what's your utopia if all your yeah, research you see, is able to come you to see, you? See what you said just there. You know, you kind of said it was as if I didn't even give my previous answer. Everything that you just said right there was couched in terms of longevity. And I'm not really blaming you here. I'm just pointing this out because, you're, because that's an example of what I see in society in general. There is this utter fixation on the longevity aspect, as if the health aspect was kind of like not part of the conversation. And this is really important to understand and to, and to, you know, to, 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 to realize, because if we carry on this way, then, uh, you know, focusing on the longevity side, that's a kind of way of, of, you know, keeping an emotional distance from the whole question. You know, people can make all kinds of stories about how longevity might be 
um, you know, a blessing. Uh, it might be, it might be, it might be a double-edged sword. You know, there might be problems that will be created by people living a lot longer. And all of those so-called stories go away when one remembers that longevity is a side effect of health, because nobody says that health is bad, or health could even be bad in certain circumstances. It's health is good un- unconditionally. So, you know, my ideal world is people stay healthy, and that's all that you should be thinking about. Okay, I gotcha. Makes sense. So, uh, you know, I've seen some of your TED Talks and you talked about, you know, people feel like it's inevitable that when they get older, older meaning, let's say, 50, 60, 70, 80, that their health won't be good. So what's the focus of your research with Ajax? Is it, again, to just improve people's health regardless of their age or what's, you know, how do you look at it then? That's exactly how we look at it. We want people to stay healthy irrespective of how long ago they were born. And our work here at Ajax is all about um, making that happen by improving the body's regenerative capacity. So, you know, the body has a lot of ways in which it damages itself as a consequence of its normal operation. This is just the nature of any machine, whether it's living or not. And certainly a complicated machine like a living organism, like a human being, does a lot of damage to itself. Now, The only reason we live as long as we do is because we have a whole bunch of systems in the body that repair that damage automatically as um, as it happens, as as it is created. The reason we don't already live indefinitely is because those damage repair systems that we have built into us are not 100% comprehensive. There are kind of gaps in them so that certain types of damage still accumulate throughout life and eventually they accumulate to a level that the body is not set up to tolerate, which is why we get sick. So the idea of um, rejuvenation is all about trying to uh, improve the regenerative capacity of the body so that effectively those gaps are smaller and therefore we stay um, healthy longer because we are accumulating damage more slowly. The work that we do at Ajax focuses on a certain range of ways of doing that. The work that I um, lead at my other role in the Science Research Foundation uh, focuses on another range of things. So for me personally, it's extremely heartening to be involved in both organizations and to be um, you know, influencing and, and spearheading uh, research that covers a lot of bases. So what's your, how has your hypothesis evolved? You know, what is it that we could do to improve health, uh, clear out the, the damage and the, you know, the junk that accumulates in our body systems? Or is there another method that you think will be the breakthrough? So the, 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 the approach that we've been taking, or to be more precise, the range of approaches that we've been taking, hasn't actually changed very much in all the time that I've been focusing on this approach to doing things about aging, to this damage repair approach, which I first started to pioneer back in about the year 2000. Um, essentially, I came up pretty rapidly with the um, with a kind of taxonomy of damage, whereby I kind of um, grouped all of the various things that we know of, the molecular and cellular changes that eventually kill us, into just seven major categories. And we've been working on all of those categories, some more intensively than others. The work that I'm now helping to uh, to, to do at Ajax is somewhat complementary to the work that has been a major emphasis at Science Research Foundation. And so, again, for me, that's very um, that's very handy. But the, if we take those two groups of approaches together, the approach hasn't actually had to change very much. Essentially, we 
haven't made any um, you know, bad news discoveries that say, oh dear, there's an additional type of damage we need to fix, or the approach that we thought we were going to use to fix this particular type of damage is not going to work, even though we thought it could. You know, these kinds of things haven't happened. The only surprises that have happened over this long period of time have been good surprises, where we've found new techniques, new discoveries, new approaches that kind of provide shortcuts and make the development of particular damage repair therapies easier than we might have thought it was going to be. So what are the seven kinds of damage, and um, where do you see headway in, in all seven kinds? Do you think it'll take repairing of all seven kinds to rejuvenate someone, or just one or two will do it? So first of all, yes, we do need to fix all seven kinds. Any, any one of these seven types of damage will indeed you know, have the capacity to kill you more or less on schedule, um, even if we fix all the others. Um, but not quite on schedule, because there is a certain amount of interaction between the different types of damage. In other words, the more of a particular type of damage you have, the, the more the um, inherent, already naturally existing damage repair mechanisms that I mentioned will be affected and be less able to work as well as they might. Um, so um, the, you know, we've, we've definitely got to uh, work on all of them, but we can certainly improve the um, uh, the situation just by fixing some of them. But we're, we're definitely focusing on all of them. So what are these seven things? Well, let me start with the ones that Ajax is mainly um, focused on. Um, so Ajax is mainly focused at the cellular level rather than the molecular level, by which I mean changes in the number of cells of a particular type that we have. And in particular, in Ajax, we're interested in improving and increasing, or if, it, if I should be more precise, maintaining through aging, the, um, the number of highly regenerative cells, stem cells of various types, progenitor cells, cells that are able to divide and differentiate to replace cells that, um, um, that may be dying. And this is something that the uh, very early stages of life are better at than the later stages. So in human beings, embryos are better at this than adults, and there's a gradient between the two. Um, so a lot of what we're doing here is trying to reactivate and um, you know, recapitulate the, um, the, the mechanisms that are already present naturally but are in some way turned off during, during life. Uh, in order thereby to, to essentially rejuvenate the, the body in a variety of ways. Now, of course, we appreciate that there must be some evolutionarily desirable reason why this change happens between the embryo and the adult in the first place. So we, are, we absolutely acknowledge that this is easier said than done and that we may have ways to do this that need to be modulated in a careful way so as to make sure that there are no serious side effects. But that's not to say that it's not a promising approach. Um, of course, there's also issues around um, essentially undesirable um, re regression to a biologically younger state. A lot of people would say that cancer is an example of this, and this is one of the main side effects that we're, we're, we're seeking to avoid. Um, then at the molecular level, which, as I mentioned, is more the focus that has been um, uh, uh, that have been where we have succeeded in um, making big progress at Sense Research Foundation. Here we're talking about things like molecular waste products, literally junk, uh, stuff that accumulates inside cells and also in the spaces between cells um, and that gets in the way eventually when there's too much of it. 
And we're also looking at changes in the mitochondria, which are these very important parts of the cell that perform the chemistry of breathing, the you know, combining of oxygen with nutrients to extract energy from those nutrients. Those mitochondria don't work so well in aging and we're fixing that. Um, also, uh, elasticity of tissues like the major arteries. This is something that changes with age and it's responsible for a variety of things like wrinkles all the way up to um, high blood pressure. So, yeah, a, a variety of different things. Where do you think the, uh, I mean, what observationally, where have the first breakthroughs come from? Or is it kind of a, is it a trade-off? You know, you fix one thing, it causes other problems and makes it worse. Does this, does this seem like an unwinnable thing? Or do you feel like uh, progress is being made? So uh, actually a lot of the reason why the approach I'm taking and this whole damage repair thing was initially regarded with a good deal of skepticism um, is precisely what you said, that there was this intuition, this assumption that it was a whack-a-mole type thing, you know, that, that basically the more you fix, the more things crop up. And I was able to point out and eventually to, um, you know, to, to persuade people that the whack-a-mole problem may be a lot less serious than one might intuitively suppose. Essentially, the reason is that we are set up, as uh, uh, this big complicated machine called the human body is set up, to tolerate a fair amount of accumulation of damage without a significant deterioration of physiological performance, whether physical or mental. Um, in other words, we kind of have a window of opportunity there. It's a bit like, you know, the situation where you maintain a car. You know, you just get rid of the, you, you, you know, have to get rid of the rust periodically. Um, and all you have to do is make sure you do it often enough so that the doors don't fall off. It's kind of like that. Um, and so the point is that while this damage of these various types is accumulating, but before it gets to the point where it's pathogenic, where it starts to be to be bad for you, um, during that period, the damage is not participating in metabolism, so to speak. It's not actually, you know, interacting with the other aspects of how the body works. And that allows each individual type of damage to be addressed and eliminated, you know, relatively independently uh, with, a, with, a, with, a, uh, with methods that have a good chance of being relatively free of side effects. Of course, you can't say that anything will necessarily be completely free of side effects, but this is the reason why it's a pragmatic and practical strategy. Well, if you can only fix one kind of the seven kinds of damage, which one would it be and, you know, that you believe would have the most effect overall? Oh, there's definitely no answer to this. I mean, we are still finding out exactly the extent to which each individual type of damage exacerbates the rate of accumulation of the other types. And of course, that may vary from one individual to another in the same way that today we see different individuals accumulating different types of damage at different rates, just slightly different rates, which leads eventually to those people dying of different things. Some people dying of cancer, some people dying of heart disease and so on. Um, So no, I definitely wouldn't want to prioritize them that way. The main way in which we, both at Ajax and at Sounds Research Foundation, have historically prioritized this is simply by looking at what is missing in what's done. Um, you know, what, what, what areas are being neglected, either because people just think they're too difficult and they haven't got any good ideas about how to attack them, or because, you know, the time has now suddenly come and nobody's really realized it, things like that. Hmm, okay, so w- any particular therapeutic uh, methods that Ajax has come up with that seem to be working or seem to have great promise? 
Well, sure, very much so. So um, a lot of the work that we do here at Ajax revolves around the application of stem cells to aspects of age. And stem cells, of course, have been around for a long time as a concept of a way to rejuvenate tissue. And they have certainly been, you know, people have been thinking hard about how they might be applied to aspects of aging, not just other diseases of early life. So the question then is, what is slowing it down? You know, why are stem cells not already routine therapies everywhere? And one big part of why they're not is that preparing stem cells in the state that you want them to be is a lot harder technically than you might expect. You see, there's not just one thing called a stem cell. There are stem cells that are that can make particular tissues, and there are also really early-stage primitive stem cells that can make pretty much any tissue. But the thing is, what you do when you're giving a therapy is you inject stuff into the body, and then you'd better hope that it knows what to do, that it's going to do the right thing and not do the wrong thing. And if you inject cells into the body that are not, um, you know, not the right kind of cell, then you're not going to get the right effect, right? So it turns out that there's been a lot of imperfection, a lot of of shortcomings in the methods that previous groups have had for making the right type of stem cell, the type that you want to have, to, uh, to do the thing you want to do, to fix the problem you want to fix. And this is, you know, held things back quite a lot. It's not just at the level of experiment, it's also especially at the level of regulation. The FDA, of course, other organizations, you know, all manner of hell in terms of just approving stuff just because of the um, degree of, of the risk of doing the wrong thing. So what Ajax has, and indeed um, not just Ajax, but its parent company, Biotime, has, but Ajax um, owns the IP for a lot of this, is a new technology called PureStem, which allows a particular type of stem cell that's going to do a particular thing and not do a, not do anything else, um, a particular type of stem cell to be produced at much higher purity than what um, other people could do before. So this may be able not not necessarily to allow a different type of stem cell therapy to be done than other people could do, but rather for that same type of therapy to be done much more safely and therefore, um, you know, in the clinic, uh, you know, and approved by the FDA and everything. That's a lot of what AJAX is all about. The other main theme that AJAX is pursuing, I've already touched on, um, and it's at an earlier stage for sure. There's some way to go before we would be expecting to get this to the clinic, but it's getting there. And this is to um, stimulate not not by injecting stem cells, but by injecting small molecules um, to stimulate the ability of cells that are already in the body to do the thing that we need them to do. Essentially, to become more stemish, so to speak, but not too much more stemish, just a little bit, so that they uh, so the tissues are more regenerative, but they don't try to be different tissues or anything like that. So, what are the top items on the repair list that you would say are, are out there? Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, so, I mean, you know, everything in the body goes wrong during aging. That's the nature of a complicated machine, especially one that has been designed by evolution. And so, you know, we've got, as I mentioned, all these seven things. We've got cells dying and not being automatically replaced by cell division. So we need stem cells for that. We have cells dividing when they're not supposed to and causing cancer. We have cells not dying when they are supposed to. That's basically what senescent cells are. Of course, senescent cells are a very big deal in um, in aging right now with companies like Unity. Um, we've got 
molecular waste products, as I mentioned. So they matter for, for really big diseases like atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis, which, of course, is the number one killer in the Western world. It causes, it's the, the cause of heart attacks and strokes. Um, you know, it comes from the, from the inability of white blood cells to break down oxidized cholesterol. So oxidized cholesterol accumulates slowly, 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 but surely in part of the white blood cell called the lysosome. And eventually the lysosome doesn't work anymore and the macrophage, this type of white blood cell, stops working. And that's where atherosclerosis begins. So we need to fix that and we know how now. Um, this, is, this is work at Sense Research Foundation, not at Ajax. Um, uh, we, we need to get rid of a whole bunch of other types of garbage. Macular, macular degeneration is another example. So that's, of course, the number one cause of blindness in the elderly. And it, um, you know, it's caused by the accumulation of a waste product, not cholesterol in this case. It's a derivative of vitamin A. But again, it needs to be got rid of. And we know how to do that now. Um, there's various other approaches, immunotherapies for um, eliminating molecular waste products that accumulate in the spaces between cells, the extracellular space. Those things are important in a variety of different aspects of aging, ranging from diabetes through to um, you know, heart failure in the very elderly. So, you know, it's a big deal. I mentioned mitochondrial mutations. They're a bit of a Cinderella of aging in the sense that there's plenty of evidence that they matter, that they kind of uh, mediate, influence the rate at which damage accumulates, but we can't really pin down which particular age-related pathologies they most matter for. Uh, nevertheless, we're definitely keen on doing something about them. Well, let's say I'm 80 years old right now. What, what therapies are available to me commercially, or is really nothing there yet to help me? Yeah, uh, yeah, really there's nothing there. I mean, some of these therapies, some of the stem cell therapies are getting to clinical trials now. Um, but basically, because of what I said about the divide and conquer nature of this whole problem, the fact that we really have to fix all of these types of damage, um, we, uh, we can't tell a particularly optimistic story for another few years yet. These things, you know, we need to push forward to get as much of this done as possible. Um, in order to be able to, you know, to give people a significant boost in how long they can stay youthful. Hmm. Um, have we learned anything from people, uh, you know, getting access to drugs they shouldn't get access to and doing therapies on themselves? I know it's an odd question, but you know, no, I know no, it's, it's happening. Perfectly reasonable question. Yes, of course, there are a number of people in this field who are not willing to be patient and wait for the regulatory authorities like the FDA to, um, to, to approve things and who are self-experimenting or engaging in medical tourism, for that matter. And, you know, we'd love to have more data on this. The problem with medical tourism um, historically, which I think really still persists, is that the providers, the people who are actually running these things, they are, of course, commercial entities. Their purpose is to make a profit, and they are able to make a profit because these, uh, you know, there are people out there who really want to stay young. But it's absolutely not in those companies' interests to be terribly scientific and objective about the results. Uh, they, you know, they want people to come and get their therapies and go away, and they don't want to hear about them again because they don't want to hear about any negative consequences or even any lack of positive consequences you know, a few years down the road. And the result of that, of course, is that the rest of the world fails to learn very much about what works and what doesn't work from all of this. Now, the self-experimenters that are coming along these days, um, people like Liz Parrish, and I guess you've probably heard of her, she's probably the most high-profile one these days. Um, these people you know, are 
much more driven by uh, you know the the, the crusade, the uh, the humanitarian motivation to actually make progress here, as well as by um, you know self-interest. And so there's a great deal more scope for um, you know making sure that long-term follow-up actually occurs and is made public. But of course, the, here there is the disadvantage that there's far fewer people involved. Uh, you know, not nearly so many people um, as one might have in a clinic that's providing some kind of medical tourism. And therefore, again, there's a limitation to how much we're likely to be able to learn. You know, it, it, it's a shame. It, it's better than nothing in both cases, but it's it's it could be better. Well, have you, have you done, I don't know if you're able to say, but do you do any self-experimentation with therapies or I don't do I don't even do anything standard like, you know, low dose aspirin or whatever. Uh, I, I'm first of all I'm only fifty five. Secondly, I um you know, I have the good fortune that I seem to be well built and I have been tested a variety of times for my so called biological age in a you know, a high end kind of, you know, very multifactorial way and I always come out really young. So, you know, I'm just lucky. I I can eat and drink more mm. or less what I like and Nothing really happens. I don't even need to do much exercise. Um, so no, I, I'm basically taking the view that if it ain't broken, I shouldn't fix it. <laughs> are, there, are there any um, holy grails in your mind, or things that uh, you see would be big, big breakthroughs that may be coming soon? I mean, if, if I would ask you, you know, okay, how close are we to solving the problems of aging, or the problems rather of uh, ill health because of aging? How I th- close I think are we? The best- yeah, I think the best way to think about this is at the level of, um, you know, seeing the positives in the fact that this is a divide and conquer approach. You know, it's easy to think, oh, dear, we've got to fix all these things. And, you know, until we fix them all, we're not going to get very far. And as I've said, one shouldn't be over optimistic about this, because the fact is, you know, we are going to have to focus on the hardest of these things in order to get the real the full result but at the same time we can certainly expect that as each each individual therapy comes along including the relatively low-hanging fruit stem cells and so on that we will have some benefits for a lot of people and of course we would expect to have big benefits for some people the people who happen to be you know most susceptible to a particular type of damage um as i mentioned there's this variation from one individual to the next in terms of the rate at which particular types of damage accumulate and so there's always going to be a subset of the population that will benefit significantly from each individual therapy okay um are there any particular conditions that ajax is uh is focusing on that it really wants to, uh, you know, to make progress in. We don't really think about it too much that way because we understand that the uh, you know, that everything in aging is linked to everything else. But on the other hand, not least because of the way that um, medicines are regulated, we do have some think, thinking in that direction. So yes, one, um, what possibly the single biggest example at the moment in AJX is with regard to diabetes. So the approach that we have here is to produce a particular type of stem cell, which is a progenitor for cells called brown adipocytes. So this is, um, so you probably know that um, there's a great deal of correlation between diabetes and obesity, but obesity is all about having too much of white fat, regular fat that you might think of, um, both under the skin and most importantly in the abdomen, what's called visceral fat. However, in addition to all of that, we have a small amount of this stuff called brown fat, which has a very different metabolic metabolic behavior and is actually anti-diabetic. And if we had more of it, then it's generally believed that there could be a very protective influence on diabetes. So the idea is 
to develop and inject cells which, let's say, are progenitors for brown fat. In other words, they can divide and the daughter cells transform themselves into brown adipocytes, brown fat cells, and thereby um, exert this anti-diabetic influence. Okay. Um, any any more to say about brown fat? I mean, it's naturally occurring in people from what I've read, and it's around the, what the near the back of the neck or the shoulders concentrated right, there. Right, right. So the big deal here is that we don't have very much of it. In fact, until recently, it was, until fairly recently, it was believed that human beings had pretty much none of it in adulthood. Um, and there was a bit more work done. It was discovered that that was actually not quite correct. But we definitely don't have very much of it. And so the idea is simply to make us have more of it. Are people able to cultivate it through certain activities, cold exposure, that kind of stuff, or is it no? You know, once no you... At least, at least not not very effectively. We believe that we can do a much better job of um, causing people to have more of it by a stem cell treatment rather than by any kind of lifestyle. And for that particular treatment, uh, is it anywhere close to being commercially available, or is it? Yes, we believe that. Costly? We believe that the we believe that the um, uh, the the approach that we're taking is pretty close to being um, you know, taken into clinical trials. Yeah, well, what do you think in the next few years will be the first um, health therapies for, for aging people? Well, that's pretty much what you already asked me. I mean, as I've said, you know, stem cell therapies are relatively low-hanging fruit. There are various other therapies, immunotherapies for cancer and for amyloidosis and such like, which are also at the level of clinical trials. Um, you know, we want, we just want to push these forward as quickly as possible. And of course, we can never know because these, um, you know, these uh, uh, therapies, until they get through clinical trials, are pioneering technologies and therefore anything can hit new problems or indeed new shortcuts can arise that respectively would slow down or speed up the rate of development. So it would be unwise to predict the sequence, you know, the order in which these things will hit the street. Mm, yeah, well, that's true. That's very true. Well, very good. Um, uh, I guess last question or so. Uh, what resources do you recommend for people that are interested in finding out about the therapies that are in progress and, you know, how aging works and what the seven kinds of damage are, where, where should they go to find out more? Well, of course, um, AJAX has a website. Sense Research Foundation also has a website, sense.org, S for sugar, E for elephant, N for November, S for sugar. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, our website at Sense certainly is, um, is very uh, expansive. You know, there's lots and lots of material there. Um, giving you know, information to people all the way from specialists down to complete lay people. Um, and uh, there's lots of news updates there. We have a newsletter, things like that. At Ajax, of course, being a commercial company, we're not quite so um, forthcoming and, and you know, we don't prioritize the publicity quite so much. But again, you know, we have press releases and so on. And, of course, Mike West, our CEO, does very regular interviews and podcasts and such like, which are always pub uh, publicized heavily on social media. So it's pretty easy to come across the um, state-of-the-art information. Okay. Well, very good. Any any closing thoughts that uh, you have for people when they consider aging and health? I mean, I know you've already given your, your perspective, but uh, anything you want to disabuse people of or uh, anything else? I think the main, the key thing that I want to make sure that people get into their heads is a sense of proportion about the relative benefits that can be obtained with lifestyle and um, medical um, options that are available today versus what may be available in a few years versus what may be available in 20 years. You know, a lot of people think that things you can do today, whether it's vitamins or supplements and so on, can do a lot, like extend your life by you know, 20 years. 
And if you think that, then you're going to kind of be correspondingly less interested in accelerating research to get get better therapies that don't exist today, right? So it's important for everybody to realize that uh, in the best case, your typical person is only going to get a couple of years of additional life, additional healthy life out of what exists today. Of course, I'm talking about people who are already doing, you know, living a reasonably sensible life and not smoking and not getting seriously overweight and so on. Um, but yeah, that in a few years we're looking at therapies arise, arriving that could make a much bigger difference. Okay. What, what do you think the difference may be with some of the new therapies coming? Well, of course, as I say, it's open-ended in the long run. I mean, initially these right. therapies will be of benefit individually to a subset of the population who happen to need those therapies more than others. As we incrementally develop more and more therapies and start to combine those therapies, that's the critical thing, so that they can synergize and um, you know, uh, address a greater and greater proportion of the damage that your typical person is accumulating, so the benefits will be increasingly greater. And, you know, the sky's the limit. Oh, one more question. Do you think that... Um in order to increase people's longevity or their health, do you think they're going to become like a, you know, like a, an older car where you got to replace this, replace that, replace this, and they eventually get, you know, half of the things in their body replaced? Or is it going to be more of a systemic rejuvenation where they can keep what they have? It's just going to, uh, it's going to perform better. So, so this question comes up a lot. And to be honest, it's based on a bit of a misconception. If you think about what replacement of parts really is at the level of a car, for example, then there isn't actually a conceptual difference between replacement and repair because the two things are really just the same thing viewed at different scales. So what I mean is if you replace the engine of a car, then you're um, you know, repairing the car. But similarly, if you replace, let's say, the spark plugs of the engine, you're repairing the engine. So it's just a matter of what scale you look at. So you can think of stem cell therapies as replacement of parts, right? But are they a perfectly legitimate therapy or not? Of course they are. That's true, yeah, because cells are always uh, dying and being born. So, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Interesting. All right, that's great. Well, Aubrey, uh, you know, thanks for your time and uh, all My your information. It's been a great happy. interview. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, 
where we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. <laughs>